To bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. Cannabisradio.com presents the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. Hey, this is great, man. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Thursday, December 17th, 2015, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Thanks for joining us here at beautiful, legal, potland, Oregon, home of Ola J Studios. And the strong silicone bong is by our side. We got a great show for you today and a first here on the Russ Belleville Show, at least as far back as I can remember, thinking of over 700 independent shows and 900 normal shows. I think today marks a first. I will be interviewing an active duty police officer today from Dallas, Texas. His name is Nick Novello. And uh, he is a member of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, which features all sorts of uh, cops, prosecutors, judges, prison guards, uh, etc. But they're almost always retired. It's very rare that we get one who's active duty. So I'm excited to talk to Nick. That'll be at half past in our Cops Say Legalized Drugs segment. So stay tuned for that. Also coming up on the show today, we round out our five different marijuana initiatives that we've been looking at. We've covered California, Arizona, Nevada, and yesterday, Massachusetts. Today, we cover the great state of Maine, where they've got a version of CRIMLA up there, the campaign to regulate marijuana like alcohol. But unlike the other three CRIMLAs that MPP is backing in Arizona, Nevada, and Massachusetts, this one is actually the language that was proposed by Legalize Maine. And so it's quite different than the criminals that we've covered over the past few days. We'll talk about that in the radical rant coming up at the end of the show. So if you want to know all about Maine legalization, and it looks pretty good, folks, I got to tell you, uh, stay tuned for the end of the show. Then also coming up on the show today, we are going to go uh, behind the headlines. And in behind the headlines today, the DEA is allowing cannabis imports for the big pharma of marijuana. Uh, they're not uh, <laughs> not playing fair. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Also on the show today, uh, in the space of our drug war data mining, instead today we're going to do a little cannabis community chat. I'm going to talk a little bit about what's going on in Oregon with our medical marijuana program and how the legislature is trying to make some really unnecessary changes in some respects. We'll talk about that in our cannabis community chat and then stay tuned in hour two. I'm going to go on an extended rant about something I call West Coast medical marijuana privilege. Uh, you'll definitely want to hear that. I've been uh, stirring up some controversy on Facebook over this topic for the past couple of days, and I just got to get a few things off my chest. That'll come up in the second hour of the show. Of course, all of that comes after this first break, and after our first break, we get into the Cannabis Radio News. In the headlines today, we're going to take a look at the lawsuit by Nebraska and Oklahoma to overturn Colorado's marijuana legalization. The Obama administration has weighed in on that lawsuit, and uh, we'll tell you what they told the Supreme Court. In Kentucky, there is a uh, Democratic senator there who is uh, abandoning his cause to try to get medical marijuana in the state and instead is going 
all in on recreational marijuana in the state. We'll tell you why. Also, tomorrow, Delaware joins the other 18 states that have decriminalized possession of marijuana. We've got another Native American tribe looking to cultivate marijuana, and we'll tell you where. And speaking of decriminalization, another great American city has decriminalized marijuana. We'll tell you where when we get back with the Cannabis Radio News. All that's coming up here on the Russ Belville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being a part of it. We really appreciate your support. The news is next, and we're back right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement. He went to public schools, then college, where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq war, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders, husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader, building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, December seventeenth, two 2015. The Obama administration is advising the Supreme Court to stay out of a dispute concerning legalized marijuana in Colorado in a case brought by neighboring states. In a brief filed with the court on Wednesday night, Solicitor General Donald B. Verrilli argues in part that the case is not properly before the court. The case highlights the tension between a state, Colorado, that has chosen to legalize marijuana and others such as Nebraska and Oklahoma, who say they are having difficulties protecting their borders from the increased flow of marijuana. Last spring, the Supreme Court asked for the administration's views as the justices decide whether to take up the case. Verrilli argued, quote, Entering the type of dispute at issue here, essentially that one state's laws make it more likely that third parties will violate federal and state law in another state, 
would represent a substantial and unwarranted expansion of this court's jurisdiction, end quote. For years, Democratic Senator Perry Clark of Kentucky has sought to lift restrictions on marijuana for medicinal purposes, but his legislation has failed to get a vote in committee. In 2016, Clark plans to double down with the Cannabis Freedom Act, a measure that would allow recreational use for adults over 21. Clark admits that passing the legislation would be very difficult next year, but hopes to set the stage for more talks. The measure, which was pre-filed last week, would repeal Kentucky's criminal prohibitions on marijuana and establish a regulatory framework that permits the plant to be grown in the state and sold in retail stores. People over 21 could possess up to an ounce on their person and cultivate up to five plants for personal consumption, but the law would still prohibit lighting up in public. Those under 21 could also possess the drug if recommended by a doctor. Clark said his bill would set up a three-tier licensing system similar to the alcohol industry to separate growers, processors, and retailers and prevent monopolies or vertical integration. The possession of small amounts of marijuana becomes legal starting Friday in Delaware, which joins 18 other states that have removed criminal penalties for carrying marijuana. With four states and the District of Columbia having legalized recreational possession of cannabis in the last two years, reformers hope smaller steps like Delaware's will pave the way for the defeat of prohibition nationwide. The Delaware state legislature in June passed a bill removing harsh criminal penalties for simple possession of up to an ounce of marijuana, which had previously been punishable with three months in jail. It now becomes a civil violation with a fine, much like a traffic ticket. However, there are still a number of circumstances under which Delaware police can arrest a person for having marijuana. Smoking cannabis in public, for example, is still a misdemeanor, punishable by less than a year in jail. Members of the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs will vote Thursday on a proposal to grow and process marijuana on the reservation and sell the product at tribal-owned stores in Portland and other Oregon cities. If the referendum passes and the state signs off on the plan, Warm Springs would be among the first tribes in the country to enter the commercial cannabis market. The tribes expect to have results Friday. It's a trend fueled by a federal memo issued last year that said the government would treat tribes as they do states when it comes to legal pot. But the debate over cultural, economic, and health risks, as well as complex legal issues, has most Native American tribes moving slowly on marijuana initiatives. Warm Springs is the first in Oregon, home to nine federally recognized tribes, to put the issue to its members. People caught with a small amount of marijuana in the city of Pittsburgh will no longer automatically be sent to jail under legislation approved by the city council. The city council voted in favor of an ordinance to decriminalize possession of 30 grams or less of marijuana, a little bit more than an ounce. Police will have the option to issue a citation and a fine ranging from $25 to $100. Currently, punishment for possession is up to 30 days in jail and a $500 fine. Those in support of the legislation cite a similar law in Brooklyn that saved the city $2 million in funds no longer needed to pay for arresting, prosecuting, and sentencing marijuana users. Today's vote was a preliminary vote. There will be a final vote at the Pittsburgh City Council due next week. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, December 17th, 2015. I'm Russ Belville. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, Handle your Cannabis 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPA's Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. 
NewEraCPAs.com. With years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, where we don't change our mind on decriminalization during an election year. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Today in Behind the Headlines, we've got a story from Mike Adams out at hightimes.com that says the DEA allows cannabis imports to facilitate the big pharma of marijuana. The U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration has all but refused to acknowledge lawful cannabis producers as part of legitimate commerce here in the United States. But that has not stopped the agency from working with corporate drug pushers in the importation of cannabis products to be used to facilitate the big pharma takeover of the medical marijuana industry. A federal notice released earlier this month indicates that big government has given a New Jersey drug development company called Catalant Pharma Solutions permission to begin importing various forms of cannabis into the United States to be administered to patients in clinical trials. The finished pharmaceutical products containing cannabis extracts will be shipped to the company's research facility in Kansas City, Missouri, which develops and tests medications in oral dose forms. Catalan's vice president of corporate strategy recently told InFarm Technologist, a news source covering the happenings of the international pharmaceutical trade, that there is a growing need for special handling capabilities in pharmaceutical development due to evolving characteristics of pharmaceutical and biotechnology pipeline molecules. (laughs) And as these molecules transition to commercially approved products, similar complexities arise in production and distribution of commercial supplies. Basically, what this means is major drug manufacturers are paying Catalant big bucks to help engineer commercial medical marijuana products in a manner that will garner expeditious approval from the U.S. government. However, the bad news is this type of action resonates an obvious separation of those medical marijuana products that are are sold in state licensed dispensaries and medicine derived from the cannabis plant that is currently being created under the guidance of the federal government. While some insiders of the pot industry believe the emergence of brands such as Marley Natural and Willie's Reserve properly defines what is to be big marijuana, the fact that well-funded drug companies are still exploring methods of capitalizing on the medical cannabis sector, even after 23 states in the District of Columbia have established relevant programs, indicates the cannabis industry is on a devastating collision course. One of Catalan's clients is GW Pharmaceuticals, a British pharmaceutical company that Merrill Lynch recently cited in a report as being a major player in the cannabis industry. The drug company has been inside the United States for a couple of years conducting clinical trials on their prized medical marijuana product Epidiolex, which is CBD in a spray form, in hopes of marketing an FDA-approved epilepsy treatment by 2017. 
As of now, GW is in phase three clinical trials for this medicine, which was recently deemed promising in combating treatment-resistant epilepsy such as Dravet syndrome. Unfortunately, the true monster of marijuana has a special luxury that remains unavailable to those companies selling pot products in retail outlets across the country, flexible DEA scheduling. A product like GW's Epidiolex, if approved, would likely be classified as Schedule 2 or Schedule 3 in order to become a part of the mainstream drug market. And while it is expected this medication will come with a hefty price, tra- price tag, Epidiolex, unlike CBD oil being sold in places like Colorado, would also be covered under most health insurance policies. This very scenario happened over three decades ago with a THC pill called Marinol. That's Mike Adams reporting in High Times. I would just add to this that this is the box canyon of medical marijuana that we have been talking about for six years now. The logical endpoint of medical marijuana has always been and shall always be the development of individualized, molecular, molecularly uh, consistent products that can be sold through pharmacies that are Schedule 2 or Schedule 3, and then will get paid for by health insurance. That's always been the direction medical marijuana was bound to head. There's just no other way this could have happened. The medical marijuana is on the decline, and there's not much we can do about it. If you want to have access to the whole plant, if you want people to be able to use marijuana medically, the fight now is for adult recreational legalization. Because medical marijuana is going to go go the way of GW Pharmaceuticals and all of these standardized, dose-related types of non-smoked marijuana products. So it's time for all of us to start getting on board with the recreational legalization, personal use, no matter what the reason is. I spent the last two years of high school in a daze. Well, everyone, it's 4.20 in the Mountain Time Zone. Happy 4.20 to our friends in Denver. And, of course, still thinking of my brother Matt battling colon cancer in the Mountain Time Zone, non-legal, ultra-prohibition red state of Idaho. That's why I fight so hard for legalization. It won't get legal in Idaho until it's legal everywhere else. One state at a time. Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, the national wildlife refuge for marijuana unicorns. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, (laughs) more flavor. The cannabis community is a diverse set of people from all walks of life, conservative and liberal, 
black and white, straight and gay, rich and poor, and everyone in between. Learn more about the people we are freeing from adult marijuana prohibition in our Cannabis Community Chat. Welcome back, everyone. Today in the Cannabis Community Chat, I just want to talk a little bit about what's going on here in my home state of Oregon. While we have legalized marijuana for adult purposes, uh, any purpose you choose, uh, there is still a medical marijuana program, the Oregon Medical Marijuana Program. And while our Measure 91 specifically said three times that this measure, the passage of this measure was not to affect the operation of the medical marijuana program, there's nothing anybody could do to stop the legislature from making changes to the Oregon medical marijuana program, as well as the Oregon Health Authority, given the, uh, the uh, authority to regulate the program. So there's a few things that they're trying to change here that are problematic. And let me just run through a few of these. Uh, first of all, they are considering uh, increasing the third-party grower fee. Now, it's already onerous enough to try to get on the Oregon medical marijuana program. You got to go see your doctor and you got to collect three years worth of medical records that show at least three times in the past three years that you've been diagnosed or you're suffering from a condition that matches the condition list. So we're not talking like, you know, Washington or California where you can just, you know, say you got a backache and get yourself a card. No, in Oregon, there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of records that you got to pull up to be able to get this. So that's already tough enough as it is. But then on top of that, the state requires that you pay a $200 fee to get your medical marijuana card. The highest fee of any of the medical marijuana states, there's two other states that have a $200 fee. One of them is New Jersey, but their card lasts for two years, right? Oregon, you got to get your card every year. So that's 200 bucks to get your medical marijuana card, which is ridiculous when you're talking about some of these people's needs to be able to uh, uh, access medical marijuana. It's just way too expensive. Then we've also got a grower fee. Now, this was instituted a while back where if you wanted to have a third party grow for you, it was going to cost 50 bucks to pay for that extra grower card, right? And then a grower could take care of up to four patients. They want to raise that up to $200, so you've already got a patient who spent two $300 going to the doctor, another $200 getting his medical marijuana card, and then you want to pull another 200 bucks out of his pocket for a grower card? Why can't these people understand that there's plenty of money for the state coming in recreational marijuana? The Oregon Medical Marijuana Program has run a surplus every year. And in fact, it's been the little rainy day fund that the state has been dipping into to pay the bills for some of their other uh, budget items. It's always run a surplus. So there's no need to pump more money into that program. They, they claim that all these extra regulatory hurdles that have been added to them are causing more costs for them, but that just doesn't, that just doesn't hold any sort of water. That's just ridiculous. Uh, they, like I said, they've been having a surplus, use some of that surplus and if you have to get some of that recreational marijuana money, I'm, I'm cool with my tax money and my weed purchases helping out people who are sick. That's the way this should work. And that's the way it was originally passed by the people of Oregon, that it should be treated like every other medicine. They're also proposing a $4,000 fee for medical marijuana processors, the people who make extracts and edibles and tinctures. 
you know, the stuff that medical patients need more than recreational patients. Not not to say I don't like a cookie or a dab now and then, but those kind of products are desperately needed by the patients. Why put an extra $4,000 hurdle in the way of getting these people their medicine? Other things that they're proposing. They're proposing a new rule that dispensary workers who are medical marijuana patients can't smoke or vape at work. Now, this is an exception that had been in the law for a while, not in front of the, you know, the the customers or anything, but it's some private out of the way location. A medical marijuana patient should be able to, to, to medicate. They want to take that ability away. These people have a hard enough time finding jobs that will allow them to be medical marijuana patients since the state of Oregon allows employers to discriminate against us because of the metabolites in our system. Why take away another uh, job possibility from a sick and likely poor person? That's ridiculous. And then another thing that they're changing, uh, of course, the clean air rules are uh, changing that look to um, that will look to end the uh, adult consumption private lounges, the cannabis cafes and such. And while a lot of people will look at this as being a recreational thing, oh, you're just getting together to get high or whatever, for some patients, those cafes, those meeting places are critical. They live in Section 8 housing. They live in public housing. They live somewhere where they're not allowed to inhale medication. They're not allowed to smoke. They're not allowed to vaporize. So they have to have some place to go to be able to use their medicine. And it's also a critical social gathering spot for people in the medical marijuana program to learn from one another. And a lot of these places like the cannabis cafe, the Northwest cannabis club, they hold special meetings just for patients to learn things about how to process marijuana or how to go about obeying the law. There's no legitimate reason we should be putting these roadblocks in front of the people who have legitimate medical need. Now, there are other things that they have changed about the law that I'm not as upset about because I understand that they were trying to rein in some of the abuses of medical marijuana. And when we come back in uh, hour two, I'm going to talk at length about that part. But when it comes to protecting the patients, individuals, on the individual level, these laws are going to hurt people. These laws are going to make it more difficult. And now, as we've got the recreational law... Fewer of those, quote, scare quote patients are in the program, and the few that are remaining are the ones who do have this serious medical marijuana need that should be protected. It won't be too soon before we can get all of this worked out. We're back with Cops Say Legalized Drugs right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Hassan Dalton, Larrabee, Heritage and Recording King guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone and Recording King banjos. The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com. The Russ Belleville Show, where the truth about marijuana gets more than a minute to speak. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. 
Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. One of the most disturbing elements of the Prohibition War is how it's made police the enemy of otherwise law-abiding cannabis consumers. Fortunately, one group of police officers knows the futility of Prohibition and reaches out to educate the community and current law enforcement. Today, the Russ Belleville Show visits with another speaker from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition with one clear message. Cops Say Legalized Drugs. Welcome back, everyone. 31 after the hour. Joining us on the telephone today for Cops Say Legalized Drugs is a man who I believe is my first active-duty police officer on the show. We've got Nick Novello from the Dallas Police Department. How you doing, Nick? I'm doing good, Russ. How are you today? I'm I'm excited to be able to talk to you. I, I'm I'm just honored that you would be here and especially uh, want to thank you for standing up uh, for leap as an active duty officer. Is, is that difficult for you? Well, um, I've been here 34 years. I'm in my early sixties. And so to be honest and blunt, no, it, it's not difficult for me at all. I, I am ostracized for the most part in the work environment, but you know, Russ, I know that I'm doing the right thing. Um, quite frankly, um, I'm, I'm merely echoing what uh, Hillary Clinton, Rick Perry, and two or three days ago, Michael Botticelli, the drug czar, said that the war on drugs had been a dismal failure and principally responsible for the high incarceration rate in the country. Well, my question for us now is that we've admitted that. What's the next step? Mm. Are we going to implement something immediately to uh, cease arresting and incarcerating people for their addictions or was that just a cathartic moment Hmm. good question and uh nick here has been a uh, veteran of the dallas police department since 1982 in that time nick uh was there any one moment or was it just the the buildup of all the moments that led you to speak out against this you know russ about 25 years ago I had what I might call a modified epiphany. I was on a street-level narcotics outfit, and it just so happened that I arrested the same guy for selling crack cocaine three times in eight days. Um, After the third time, I I told the sergeant I was done. I would not risk my neck for uh, what I thought was uh, a very ineffective way of of dealing with uh, the drug problem. Uh, little did I really understand at that time that it was a numbers game. And, you know, Russ, I, I tell people that the public information office with any police department has become as important as the actual patrol function because departments around the country manage the information that they disseminate and for the most part are in the business of manufacturing information based on public consumption. And very little of it has to do with the, with the actuality of what's there. Um, we know that the drug war, we've manufactured the criminal element for the most part. 
So for me, when I really became aware of that, I, I thought, you know, I want to speak to this while I'm still an active officer because I, I don't uh, I don't want people to say the guy's disgruntled or now he's retired and he's doing it. I just felt uh, a sense of urgency. And, and I have to tell you, if uh, if we don't begin to speak to these things now, we're, we're going to have problems maintaining the culture. And I'm principally referring to the culture of freedom that we presently enjoy in the country. Yeah, and we've seen uh, as of late the past, you know, two or three years, uh, a, a, a new recognition uh, among the people of just how this war on drugs has militarized our police and, and created, you know, basically uh, uh, occupation zones in some of our cities. Uh, speak to that, if you will, about how you've seen policing change in Dallas over the past 30 years and how much the war on drugs has had to do with that. Well, you know, Russ, my understanding when Robert Peel wrote those nine principles of policing in 1829, uh, they had everything to do with police doing a job that was, quite frankly, based on a uh, social contract. I exercise the authority over Russ that he allows me to based on a social on this or contract. And that, that's based on the understanding that a uh, society of, uh, of freedoms, the first requisite there is order. And we're there to maintain that order, but I need you to support me in order to do my job. When you begin to see my actions as illegitimate or inappropriate, you cease to support me. And the actions I have to take to get you to comply are no longer really policing actions. They become more militaristic. And again, it's not an I-thou relationship. It becomes I-it. And I've seen that. I've seen uh, the mindset set in that... Uh, We've got to go out there and, uh, again, incarcerate as many people because it's the way we fight this war on drugs. You know, to me, when people like Botticelli and others say that addiction is a, uh, it's a, it's a, a medical condition, it is a medical condition, and, and, and Peter Christ does such a wonderful job of addressing it, uh, this is the only medical condition I know of in the country that we treat by incarcerating people. And, and we've lost the ability to do that. We don't have the resources, but Russ, I don't argue with that. What I argue with people is all you need to do is look at the inner cities and see the carnage and understand that our culture will not maintain that very much longer. Um, you know, this is an important point with me. Heroin has become very problematic for middle-class America, especially Caucasian America. So they reached out to the Justice Department, the drug enforcement people, and said, we want a uh, more compassionate approach to this. And that's all well and good. Um, I, I support that. But how about the 40 years that have passed and the people whose lives are defined by, uh, by having been arrested? You know, uh, Jack Cole, who was one of the founders of uh, LEAP, makes a fantastic point, And it's very sad, really, because he says, in America, you can survive an addiction. You simply cannot survive a conviction. And quite frankly, we're at the end of, the, of, of our rope with that. We don't have the resources. We have millions of Americans who we define that way. Personally, Russ, I see it as a caste system. We have those who've not been uh, arrested for a narcotics violation, so to speak, and that we have the rest of the folks that have been arrested for some type of a narcotics uh, uh, situation or, or the use thereof 
And now they're defined that way. They can't get employment. They can't go to school. How, how much more of this do, do we think our culture will withstand? That's part and parcel in my estimation of what's happening in Baltimore, Ferguson, New York. We've taken the hope from these people's lives. Very well put. We're speaking with Nick Novello. He's an active duty police officer with the Dallas, Texas Police Department and a speaker for Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. You can find out more at leap.cc. They've got a speaker near you who will come out and speak to whatever group you need him to speak to. Now, Nick, you mentioned uh, Baltimore, Ferguson, New York City, and while the war on drugs has had a, a terrible impact on the communities of color in those places and elsewhere, it's also had a devastating impact on the culture of policing itself. According to your bio, this is something you've looked into with your website, Whistleblower Assist. Can you tell people about that and how we can get the good cops to out the bad cops? Well, Russ, uh, I've been doing this since 2007. And, you know, people ask me, can police police themselves? Let me categorically say no. You have, for the most part, police are out here. They're trying to do a good job. They really are. The guys and girls on the street are really trying to do a good job. But the administrations, as soon, and this was my experience that I'm speaking to, and obviously others that we research, as soon as you go to your administration with egregious police misconduct, they come after you. Mm-hmm. And I just, I went to the FBI on a Dallas police chief and nothing came of it. Uh, I went to the Homeless Alliance on uh, criminal police conduct. I, uh, I had a, a, an attorney sue the city of Dallas on behalf of the homeless. And you see things addressed to a point. And, Russ, I think we're so far past the point of viable damage control that every department seeks to quash. Uh, it's, it's very sad, but we do not have the mechanism in place to police ourselves. Mm. We need full accountability and transparency. Uh, l- l- let me tell you, um, just I think it's in today or yesterday's paper, the two officers being tried in Chicago said they wanted to have the mayor, Emmanuel, testify because he had alluded to the thin blue line. Mm. And of course, his office is resisting that. Uh, I don't understand why we refuse to speak to the actuality of what's there. We don't address the need to be transparent and uh, accountable. Well, what we, what we end up with is a Friday night basketball league. It's just a little palliative, you know, a cathartic thing. What we really need to do, we need to set up independent agencies, maybe funded by the state, to hold police accountable and to be absolutely transparent because the American people are not asking for that today. Russ, they're demanding it. And unless we reestablish a strong bond of trust, we're not going to be able to police the streets of America. Can the policing of the police happen without ending the drug war, though? I, I personally, I, I think uh, it's part and parcel. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what do we say at this juncture? The drug czar himself has said it's a dismal failure and has resulted largely in the number of men and women that we have incarcerated. And, you know, I got to ask you this, because maybe you can even answer this for me, but Hillary Clinton and Rick Perry both go on record as saying the criminal justice system has largely failed America, especially minority America. Now, my question is, are these sudden epiphanies or are these these comments made because they now carry political currency? 
But larger than that still, Russ, what do we do at this point in time? Do we continue to talk about this stuff or do we take the next step and make change? We, we have the wherewithal to make change and we need to do it because it's now not just a conversation. It's an imperative. We need to act. Absolutely. Now, uh, Texas, of course, uh, where you're at, uh, a tougher road to hoe than a lot of states. Uh, what do you see there as far as the prognosis for progress? Well, I, I think you're starting to see uh, folks marshal their resources. And, you know, Russ, I, I, uh, I had a conversation with a, uh, a real heavyweight civil rights person, and we both agree that when we're talking to someone about change, you don't reach out to them and say, hey, we're asking you to do the just thing. That's not going to happen. So when I speak to people, I say, listen, I'm asking you to do the thing that's in your interest to do because you no longer have the luxury of saying you weren't a prize. And moreover, should you act in your own interest, you'll be acting in the interest of many, many people to end this war on drugs. You know, one of the things, Russ, that I push, and I push real hard, and I want to see it happen in Dallas, is a pilot program using medicinal cannabis to wean people of hard narcotics. Mm. That's doable. The science is in place. It works. And if we're going to get away from, from mere language or verbiage and actually have something happen, that's the first step. We can use medicinal cannabis to wean people off drugs. You know, you ask me how I do this as an active cop. You know, I ask a lot of active cops. I ask lawyers, and sometimes I've had the honor of asking a judge, Why do you do it if it's someone you love? This is my touchstone, Russ. Invariably, they say, oh, if it's someone I love with with an addiction, we get get a lawyer and we get all the the help we need. Well, that's the epitome of hypocrisy. I'm going to get all the help that I can get from my loved one, but I'm going to incarcerate everybody else in our culture. No, it it just can't work that way. And until we understand that, uh, we're going to continue to perpetuate this tautology of failure. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well put. Thank you so much, uh, Nick Novello from the Dallas Police Department. And uh, keep your head low. I want to make sure that you can still be an active duty cop for a while to while to come now. Uh, I hope this doesn't cause too many problems for you. No, that's okay. Well, thank you. All right. Thanks so much, uh, Nick, and uh, appreciate you calling in. Stay tuned, folks. Have a good evening. Yes, thank you. Uh, when we come back, we'll have time for a radical rant. Uh, we're going to talk about... The ma- the main Krimla, all the way up there in the Granite State. So, oh no, wait, that's New Hampshire. What is Maine? I better look that up. You know Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. Herb Age Designs, lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herb Age Designs, we've got frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herb Age Designs. We've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbAgeDesigns.com. And follow Herb Age and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they... Pay me to say that. A public service message from CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Belleville Show. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. 
connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical Rant. All right, welcome back, everybody. In the rant today, we're finishing up our look at five state legalization initiatives, and today's initiative is the one for the state of Maine, the Pine Tree State, and it is the initiative to legalize marijuana in Maine. Uh, it was originally written by uh, Paul McCarrier and the group Legalize Maine. And then there was a competing initiative from Marijuana Policy Project that was more restrictive called CRIMLA, Campaign to Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol. And in a first, MPP folded its campaign and got behind the grassroots campaign. And that's uh, kudos to Paul McCarrier and the people at Legalize Maine for doing the due diligence to get the signatures and the backing and the funding and the organization necessary to convince MPP to join up with them. So as we're talking about this initiative now, it's the legalized main language, but CRIMLA campaign to regulate marijuana like alcohol is the branding that MPP is using to push it. So it's not the same basic CRIMLA template that you had in Massachusetts, Arizona and Nevada. It's, legalized main language, but just has kind of a crimla shell, if you want to call it that. Anyway, this legalized main language is pretty amazing. Uh, let me get you the basics, of course. Uh, what everyone wants to know, how much can you possess? Well, in all the other states we've been talking about this week, people 21 and older can possess an ounce of marijuana. In Maine, you'll be able to possess two and a half ounces of marijuana. That is fantastic. And... In all these other states we've been talking about, you can possess five grams of concentrate or seven grams of concentrate or eight grams of concentrate, whatever it might be. And that has to be part of the marijuana you're allowed. So like if you got 28 grams of possession and eight of its concentrate, you only get 20 grams of flour, right? The total combined has to be an ounce. In Maine, cannabis is defined as the flower and the extract, the concentrate. So when Maine tells you, you can have two and a half ounces, you can have two and a half ounces of concentrate people, two and a half ounces of extracts. Yeah. Pretty amazing. There's also the best cultivation of a recreational law that I've seen so far. Adults in Maine will be able to cultivate six, Mature plants. 
And you think, well, six, that's what you get in uh, the California one and the Massachusetts and the, and the Nevada and the Arizona. What's the big deal, right? No. Six flowering mature plants and 12 immature plants. An immature plant under the main law is defined as a non-flowering plant that's over two feet tall and over a foot and a half wide, right? So you could have 12 vegetated plants ready to go into flower, and you can have your six mature plants that are in flower, and you can have unlimited seedlings, an infinite amount of seedlings, and a seedling is defined as a non-flowering plant that's below two feet in height. Everybody should be happy about this. I mean, six mature, 12 veg, unlimited seedlings. It'd be hard to ask for more than that. That's pretty amazing. Also, you'll be able to purchase up to a dozen seedlings or immature plants from a grower. So you don't even have to start it at a seedling. You could go grow, go get yourself 12 vegetated plants, put six of them into the flower cycle, keep another six in the veg cycle for a while. Basically, you're Papa Murphy's take and bake of weed. Now, there are some restrictions on the home grows. You have to have your landlord's written permission to home grow. So if you don't own your property, go get your landlord's permission. And they don't have to give it to you. And your home grow has to be out of public view. Now, there is one part about this. This is kind of weird because none of the other legalization laws are doing this. But you have to tag all your plants in your home grow with, you know, like I imagine you can get those uh, little wire twisties you get at the bulk foods, you know, but you have to get something to tag your plants and every tag on every plant has to include your name and your main driver's license number. Now, what that tells me is that only main residents can cultivate marijuana, right? Because I don't have a Maine driver's license. I'd have to be a resident of Maine to get one, wouldn't I? So yeah, that, that is one, one little uh, chink in the armor, so to speak. Um, another point that's important is that all of this cultivation limit, six mature, 12 immature, unlimited seedlings, is in addition to what you can cultivate medically. If you're a medical marijuana card holder in Maine, this is in addition uh, right here. Marijuana cultivation for medical use is not considered cultivation for personal use. So therefore, if you're allowed X number of plants under medical and Y number of plants among recreational and neither of them are each other, then X plus Y is how many plants you end up getting out there in Maine. There's also a prohibition on public uh, toking. You can't smoke pot anywhere. You can can't smoke tobacco. Right. If it's a no smoking zone, it's a no smoking zone. And you get a hundred dollar fine if you violate that. So pretty standard what we've seen. And the tax rate on the marijuana in uh, Maine is going to be 10 percent point of sale tax. So not bad on the taxes. Massachusetts has lower three point seven five plus a local two percent. So not bad, though, compared to most of the rest of the states. Now, taking a look at the commercial angles on this and some of the definitions and such, um, Maine also has a definition for mother plants. So in addition to seedlings, immature plants, mature plants, they also have a definition for mother plants for the cultivators. That's helpful. 
Um, and Maine. Okay, so we've been talking about how California, Massachusetts, Nevada, and Arizona all might allow for pot lounges. Maine will allow for pot lounges. Guaranteed. They have a definition of a retail marijuana social club. There will be pot lounges in the state of Maine. Uh, now, a couple of the other uh, details, of course, is going to be testing and labeling for potency and THC and CBD and you know testing for the pesticides, mold, mildew, fungi, contaminants, all that kind of stuff. That typical stuff you'd expect. But when it comes to retail marijuana, uh, has to be out of public view. That uh, the advertising has to be restrict can be restricted. Not supposed to advertise to kids. Uh, you can't get a license if in the past ten years. You were convicted of a drug crime that qualifies for five years imprisonment or longer. That's kind of an interesting way to put it because it's not misdemeanor. It's not felony. It's not by type of drug, but it's if you could have been sentenced and not that you were sentenced, but you could have been sentenced for five years or more, then for 10 years, you're disqualified, you know, 10 years of that conviction, you're disqualified from being a licensee. Other people that are disqualified from being licensees, cops, state licensing officials, and local officials cannot be licensees. When it comes to giving out the licenses, medical marijuana licensees have the first priority, especially if they're a caregiver with three or more patients that they're caring for. There will be a criminal background check on the licensees. And licensees are allowed to hold all types of licenses except tester. If you're a tester, that's the only license you can hold, but you can be a cultivator and a processor and a retailer and a marijuana social club. You can have all four licenses. And in fact, the law specifically provides for cultivators to have their own shops and for processors to have their own cultivation. So you combine all that together. And of course, uh, uh, retail shops can also be social clubs add it all together. You could have all four licenses. So you could have your own little self-contained grow process, sell and smoke lounge, which would be pretty, pretty cool. And again, the medical marijuana licensees get first priority for the first 60 days of licensing after 60 days they're they'll open it up for everyone. And, um, if there's too many applications for the stores, the priority goes to cultivators who've been growing for two years or more, and then to caregivers who have three or more patients. Um, also, while you can have multiple different licenses, you can't have more than one of the same license if that would prevent someone else who's qualified from getting a license. So like if let's say my town only allows two pot shop licenses and I've got one of them, if someone else qualifies and is applying for the other license, I can't have that other license. But if there's no one else applying, if I'm the only qualified person, then yeah, I could have two pot shop licenses in the same town or two grow licenses or two cultivation or whatever. Now there's not going to be a hard limit on the total number of pot shops in the state, but Localities, or as they call them, municipalities, can limit or prohibit any type of license. So you could have cities that have absolute bans on pot shops and everything. That could happen. And when it comes to total cultivation, there is a limit 
the, the, the state can set limits either by plant count or by total canopy space. And the limit for licensing is a total of 800,000 square feet for the whole state, 800,000 square feet for the whole state. And it's interesting how they break this up. There's going to be two types of grow licenses in Maine, small and large. Uh, They don't call it that. That's what I'm calling them. The small licenses are the grows that are 3,000 square foot or smaller. The large licenses are the grows between 3,000 and 30,000 square foot, which will be the max, 30,000 square foot. And the way that you pay for your license is that you'll be buying what are called unit blocks for your grow. And a unit block is 100 square feet, 10 by 10. So if you want to have that 3,000 square foot grow, that's 30 unit blocks. If you want to have that 30,000 square foot grow, that's 300 unit blocks. And each unit block costs a certain amount. And 40% of the grow licenses in Maine have to go to those small size grows. There's plenty more to take a look at in the main Krimla. I'll have my highlights of this posted on MarijuanaPolitics.com later today. Also, you can check out the hyperlinked reformatted text of all five initiatives available through my Scribd account. Just go to rad-r.us slash mj2016. All, lower co- all lowercase, rad-r.us slash mj2016. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Now it's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? Or you can tow. I am here. Or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and and the, the next thing you know, they got ten years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. 
a polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. Welcome back, everybody. Hour 2 Toker Talk Radio is in effect. The phone lines are open at 971-533-7111. If you feel like asking a question or making a suggestion, have a comment, we're here for you. 971-533-7111. Coming up after the first break, you'll get a bonus we got a radical rant coming up after this next break. But before we get to that, let me finish up what I was telling you about Maine's legalization. As we pointed out, you'll be able to possess two and a half ounces of marijuana and or concentrate <laughs> and be able to cultivate six mature plants, 12 immature plants and unlimited seedlings. And best of all, Maine is going to have pot lounges. Marijuana lounges are coming to Maine. Now, the localities can ban these things. The municipalities can ban the pot lounges, and they can set limits on them in in time, place, and manner, and all that kind of stuff. But I have a good feeling that there's going to be, at least in the cities, some pot lounges. Now, some of the other things in this law are quite interesting. It, It really is, it really seems built to favor the small grower and to impede monopolization. The largest possible grow you can have is a 30,000 square foot grow. And there's license limitations. So you can't have, you know, more than one license. If there's other people qualified for licenses, the existing licensees get priority and so forth. And there's also a piece called a, well, I call it a use it or lose it piece. Let me tell you how this works. Uh, It says that the state licensing authority can reduce the number of unit blocks a retail cultivation facility is authorized to cultivate if the facility has not used all of it by the first year of their operations. Now, basically what that's saying is you can't get yourself a grow of a certain size and then just hold on to that size without using it, right? You you have to use all that you've been licensed. And it's interesting to me because the way the law is written, it says... Authorized to reduce the unit blocks uh, if the facility is authorized to cultivate that the facility is authorized to cultivate if 50 percent or fewer of the unit blocks a facility is authorized to cultivate are not used by the end of the first year of operations. So what they're saying, what they're trying to say is if half or more of your grow isn't being used, you're going to lose some of your grow. Unfortunately, I think they made an error. Because they wrote 50% or fewer are not used. Well, if I use 100% of my grow, 0% was not used, and that's less than 50. The way they've written it by putting fewer in there instead of the word more leads me to believe that you'd have to not use half of your grow or more. To avoid having your grow reduced. So I really hope that's fixable. And maybe I'm reading it wrong, but it's in that uh, in that paragraph six there. It says authorized to cultivate if 50% or fewer of the unit blocks are not used. So I, I hope that's a mistake that can be fixed. Um, also in the law, some stuff to look at. Um, if a license was denied somewhere, you can't get a license within a thousand feet of that spot for two years. That's kind of interesting, right? It doesn't specifically say anywhere in this law that these licensees have to be a thousand feet from schools or anything, but it does refer to other sections of law, which I do believe set those kind of uh, standards. 
Uh, so we'll I'll clear that up in my notes once I get this posted. Now, uh, other parts of the law that are kind of interesting. The pot shops can't sell non-consumables. But they can sell apparel and other products. So it's likely when you go to a pot shop in Maine, you could also buy a pipe, a T-shirt, a poster, lighters, whatever, right? But definitely not cigarettes, alcohol, or edible products that don't contain marijuana. The pot shops that are, or I'm, I'm sorry, the retail social clubs, the marijuana social clubs, are only prohibited from selling cigarettes and alcohol. So at the... At the uh, social club, it looks like I'll be able to buy snacks and drinks, you know, non-alcoholic drinks. So that'll be pretty cool. You can't make any advertisement uh, that appeals to minors or makes any sort of health claims. So that's pretty standard. But then there's two clauses here I do not like. One of them says that pot magazines have to be sold only in retail marijuana stores or behind the counter any place a kid can enter. So what that's going to do, that's going to do what they wanted to do in Colorado, where all pot magazines have to be treated like porn and they have to be behind the counter and, and hidden from kids view. They'll get sued on that over first amendment grounds. And then the next clause, a retail marijuana product may not contain an additive designed to make the product more appealing to children. They're going to use that to ban flavoring. Mark my words on that. This is how they'll attack gummy bears brownies, any sort of flavored vaporization cartridges, you know, like a bubblegum flavor in a cartridge or something. They're going to claim that that's marketing to minors and it'll be banned under that clause. So there's going to be seed to sale tracking. Most of these laws have that these days. And um, that pretty much does it. Don't think there's any other points we have to get to. License fees, lowest license fees of any of the states I've talked about so far. Retailers, two fifty to twenty five hundred. Growers, ten to hundred bucks per hundred square foot. And the marijuana social clubs, two hundred fifty to twenty five hundred dollars. And the application fees, like on the other criminals, are like five thousand dollars non refundable app fee. The app fees in Maine will be ten to two hundred and fifty dollars. We're back with a rant after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement, he went to public schools, then college, where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq war, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders, husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader, building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. Get the latest updates on the Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking the Russ Belleville Show on Facebook.
Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. In hour one today, I discussed some of the attacks that are coming on the Oregon Medical Marijuana Program. But in covering that, it also opens up uh, an entirely different subject that I have to get off my chest. So I want to just speak now to the medical marijuana states out there. Hi, medical marijuana states. How you doing? If you've got a medical marijuana program right now and you're thinking about legalizing marijuana use by all adults, that legalization will affect your medical marijuana program. But that's not a reason to oppose marijuana legalization. Here on the West Coast, we've had medical marijuana since the late 1990s. As the first medical marijuana states, we also enjoyed the greatest leeway in terms of protection from enforcement of the controlled substances laws. We tried to keep medical marijuana untouched by legalization. The campaign for Washington's Initiative 502 repeatedly claimed their language did not change medical marijuana laws. Oregon's Measure 91 said specifically three times that their language was to not affect medical marijuana. And neither initiative contained any language modifying medical marijuana in any way. Those were not lies and those were not false promises. Both initiatives could have considered how to reconcile medical and commercial marijuana programs, but the advocates for medical marijuana demanded that the legalization initiatives in no way altered the medical marijuana laws. So they didn't. Which is tragic because if the medical advocates had allowed I-502 to integrate language to strengthen medical marijuana, the legislature couldn't have touched it for two years. But folks, legalizing marijuana can't not change medical marijuana. Medical marijuana is not legality. Medical marijuana is an exception to criminal prosecution for patients under prohibition. So when aspects of the criminal prohibition are eliminated, how could the exceptions not change? What would we be making an exception for? Well, in Washington and Oregon... The exceptions for medical marijuana are based on the fact that patients need a lot more marijuana. While under the legalization law, adults can only possess one ounce of marijuana, P-51 
patients in Washington can possess three ounces, and patients in Oregon can possess a pound and a half. While adults in Washington cannot cultivate at home, and those in Oregon can only cultivate four plants, patients in Washington can cultivate 15 mature plants, and those in Oregon can cultivate six mature plants and unlimited seedlings. And both states have robust dispensary systems as well, both medical and commercial. But now, both of these states' medical marijuana programs are being amended by their state legislatures. Note, their state legislatures, not by the legalization initiatives, to curtail some of the most egregious abuses. Most of these changes are reasonable, some of these changes are unnecessary, and a few of these changes are counterproductive. But if you ask the medical marijuana chicken littles, all of these changes are tantamount to repealing medical marijuana altogether and imprisoning every medical marijuana patient, and they're all the fault of legalizing marijuana for all adults. In Washington, major changes were made to their medical system, especially their unregulated, never-legalized dispensary and farmer's market system. Dispensaries now have to be licensed and follow regulations and pay taxes like dispensaries everywhere else. Collective gardens are smaller. Now they only get a mere 45 plants and four and a half pounds for 10 patients. Patients now have to register with the state, like everywhere else. And the process for getting a recommendation has been tightened, like everywhere else. And sadly, possession was reduced from one and a half pounds to three ounces. But if you ask the medical marijuana advocates, it's all the fault of passing I-502 because the state wants to funnel medical patients into the taxed commercial system. They act as if the legislature never would have done anything in reaction to, oh, I don't know, naturopaths handing out medical recommendations to healthy 20-somethings attending a rap concert at Hempfest, or complaints about the dozens of stinky cannabis plants growing in the neighbor's backyard. Or the storefront dispensaries openly flouting the law? Nah, they'd have just let that keep going. That had just kept going. They'd have never touched that. In Oregon, the latest changes to our medical program include a potential increase in third-party grower fees from 50 bucks to 200 bucks, restricting medical marijuana cards to Oregon residents only, and we had been the only state to allow non-resident cards, and the elimination of card-stacked gardens in favor of urban and rural gardens with limits of, now get this, 12 plants and 72 pounds in the city, 48 plants and 576 pounds in the country, and double those limits grandfathered in if you've already got a grow larger than that. Yeah, yeah, what a, what a hardship. See, folks, this grower fee that they're complaining about rising from 50 to 200 bucks is what the patient has to pay the state to register another person to grow cannabis for the patient. But folks, it's not the patient paying those fees. In practice, it's the growers covering those fees for the benefit of having a card that allows them to sell excess medical marijuana to dispensaries. And uh, the card stacked gardens that we used to have, that was when multiple third party growers who could cultivate six plants and possess a pound and a half each 
for four patients at a time would then gather a bunch of growers at the same address. So the medical marijuana advocates in Oregon are blaming Measure 91 for these changes as well. They act as if the legislature never would have done anything in reaction to consistent news stories of growers profiting from trunk loads of medical marijuana bound for sale seized east of Oregon, or the urban mega grows surrounded by floodlights, razor wire, and pit bulls, or the investigative reporting that showed that Oregon's largest card-stacked garden... Yeah, baby! (laughs) That Oregon's card-stacked medical marijuana garden, the largest one, contained 624 mature plants and served 104 patients who all lived in Southern California. Nope. They'd have just let that keep on going. They never would have changed that if legalization hadn't come along. Right. Part two of the rant, when we come back and I feed a cat. Happy 420. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your cannabis 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPA's Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired. Hang out for a while and share. Get dot buzz. .buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. .buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. .buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. .buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at get.buzz. Tokers. There's no good reason to get your dog stoned. While it might not harm them physically, imagine being a dog who already begs for treats all day, and then imagine that dog having the munchies. Not cool. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> More flavor. And now, let the beat drop. Look, Ma, I'm a DJ. Welcome back. It's uh, <laughs> 23 after. Radical Russ here at Roller J Studios. And, uh, just a little uh, heads up. I'm going to be uh, 
cutting out of here early because I have to go attend the MJBA meetup, the December meetup here in Portland, and uh, get some audio for you for the show. So um, we're going to take out of here a little early, but uh, not before we complete this radical rant. Part two here of a rant that I have called West Coast Medical Marijuana Chicken Littles Blame Legalization for Cutbacks. And I just got through telling you about how Oregon and Washington have suffered, if you can call it suffering, uh, these cutbacks to their medical marijuana programs, and they're blaming it on legalization when the fact is that it was the excesses of medical marijuana that caught the attention of the legislatures and demanded that they made these changes. It was you know, the, the naturopaths handing out uh, recommendations to all the 20-somethings trying to watch the Cottonmouth Kings at Hempfest. Those are the kind of things that catch a legislature's eye. The, uh, the massive number of dispensaries in Seattle when the law never authorized any dispensaries. In Oregon, the, the massive uh, 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 grows within the city limits with razor wire and floodlights and pit bulls. And, and the stench of dozens of flowering cannabis plants, the uh, the truckloads of marijuana that are caught in Idaho and Utah coming from Oregon, making their way east. I mean, all of these things have an effect. And for the people on the medical marijuana side to continue blaming legalization for their problems is a serious deflection from the self-introspection they should take to understand why people perceive of medical marijuana the way they do. They often come back to me and they say, oh, the, 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 the abuses are small and rare and, and it's all blown up by the cops and the media and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that doesn't change what people's perceptions are. Now, I can sit here and talk to them day after day after day and tell them all these stories about sick and disabled patients who are done doing this right and how most people are, are, are you know, doing fine in this program and not abusing it. And then the next day, there'll be a hash oil explosion by some idiot that's uh, unlicensed. And the day after that, there'll be a medical marijuana grow that's busted that's got four or five times the number of legal plants they're supposed to have. Hell, we have stories in the Oregonian openly talking about how Travis Maurer illegally grew marijuana plants in the state of Missouri, got convicted of a felony for it when they found the plants hidden in false walls in his home. And then the story goes on to talk about how he then, on probation, came to Oregon, became a medical marijuana grower, and did the same damn thing, grew a shit ton of plants to make a shit ton of money to use that to legalize Oregon. How do you think that plays? Not just in Oregon, but nationwide for the legitimacy of medical marijuana. So I've got these people demanding, these medical marijuana advocates demanding that I raise the hue and cry about the whole, how the poor, vulnerable patients will be devastated by these changes. Now, look, I'm not in favor of adding more restrictions to medical marijuana. It's been working just fine for most of these people, and most of these people need it the way it is. But it's also real difficult to crank up the outrage machine when even with these changes, Pacific Northwest medical marijuana patients have it better than patients almost everywhere in the United States. How exactly do I get regular non-medical marijuana or just non-marijuana folks to get worked up about a Washington patient having to see a real doctor, 
to verify a serious condition and register with the state for the privilege of triple the adult possession limits, the right to grow that adults don't get, an exemption from the taxes that the other adults have to pay. When patients in every other state with medical marijuana have to do just that, and many people in many other states don't even have medical marijuana. How do I paint that as a big sacrifice, as a, as a huge devastation to the program? How exactly do I get regular non-marijuana folks to get worked up about an Oregon grower being limited to planting only a dozen cannabis plants that can yield legally up to six pounds per plant in his backyard in the middle of the city when half the medical marijuana states don't allow any personal cultivation and most of the rest allow far fewer than six plants and a pound and a half of possession per patient. Now, the next battleground, of course, is California, where they have just finally passed medical marijuana regulations. Finally, after 18 years of unregulated chaos. Now, I'm personally glad they passed those regulations before legalization happens, only so it'll be harder for the medical marijuana advocates to blame legalization for reining in the excesses of California. Harder, yeah, but not impossible. See, already... As medical marijuana advocates there review the most likely initiative to pass that Sean Parker initiative submitted, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, they're already blaming the passage of the recent medical marijuana laws on the legislature's desire to regulate the system in advance of legalization's inevitable passage. Jeez, it seems like we can't even think about legalizing marijuana, lest medical marijuana be inconvenienced. Those advocates are already calling for the defeat of the Sean Parker initiative for various reasons. But the most ludicrous reason to me is rejecting legalization because it contains a new open container violation that is a $250 fine. I've literally read complaints that said, with such a violation, it would be impossible for a medical marijuana patient to consume while in a moving vehicle. Really? They want me to attack a legalization plan because it doesn't allow a person to smoke pot in a moving car. And it would require someone to put their weed in the trunk or behind the back seat. I got to go out and get people worked up about that. They even warn that medical marijuana patients simply riding in the car with marijuana on their person would be arrested and jailed for that open container, which is impossible given the fact that the punishment is just a $250 fine, but there's no end to the scaremongering that the medical marijuana chicken littles will give when it comes to legalizing marijuana. So California, Arizona, Nevada, Massachusetts, and Maine, and any other medical marijuana state that's considering legalization, let's just get it out in the open. Legalization will change your medical marijuana program. Guaranteed. If you're waiting for the perfect, true legalization that won't affect your medical marijuana program, you'll never legalize marijuana. But before you go joining the cops and the prison guards and the rehabs and the drug testers in voting to maintain prohibition, consider for a moment all the ways legalization 
improves medical marijuana. Any adult who needs marijuana medically can just go to a store and buy it. No more having to register with the state and pay for the privilege of not being arrested. No more having to prove some condition from a list in the Pacific Northwest or just point at a chart with a bunch of words on it in California. And no more having to pay a doctor for a permission slip. And no more public condemnation of medical marijuana as just some ploy to smoke pot legally. There there are specific legislative improvements to help patients that the medical marijuana advocates never seem to bring up post-legalization. Washington's legislature finally legalized concentrates. They also lowered marijuana's commercial tax rate. And now, the price of commercial marijuana across the river from me in Vancouver, Washington, is $60 to $70 per half ounce. In a recreational store, 60 to 70 per half ounce, which is way lower than the 240 to $280 an ounce price I found in a Seattle medical marijuana dispensary. Down here in Oregon, our legislature increased possession of non-solvent concentrates to a full pound and increased a single medical marijuana grower's possession from six pounds to 72 pounds and made possession felonies for any amount impossible. In California, the Sean Parker Initiative also improves on medical marijuana. It protects all indoor personal grows from local bans, and you get to possess all the marijuana that you grow. There can be on-site consumption at pot shops, and there's the possibility of consumption in certain limos, buses, or even Uber rides if there's a barrier between the driver and passenger. And finally, parental rights for medical marijuana patients are now specifically guaranteed. Legalization also means that the patients who are gaming the medical marijuana system to avoid arrest don't have to anymore. The patients who have lesser need, who often look healthy to a skeptical public, will also drop off the medical rolls as they avoid the hassle and expense of getting their medical cards. Those people who remain on the medical programs will be those truly needy people that even red state Republicans would agree should be allowed to use medical marijuana. And that can only help the prospects of passing medical marijuana elsewhere. So medical marijuana states, be full aware that nobody can promise your medical marijuana program is never going to change. Hell, even if marijuana legalization doesn't happen, we're seeing changes in the Michigan program, in the Hawaii program, in the Nevada program. (laughs) Change is a constant. However, fearing that change is no excuse for voting to keep ticketing, arresting, and imprisoning people who don't have medical marijuana cards. All right, folks, that's all the time we got for today. I got to close up shop early, make my way across town to the MJBA meetup. You can learn more about the Marijuana Business Association by visiting MJBA.net. We'll be on tomorrow for the last show of 2015. Our special guest will be Mason Tavert from the Marijuana Policy Project. We're going to talk about all those four CRIMLA initiatives we've gone over the past four days. And then we'll be off for a couple weeks. We're off for the holidays. We'll be back in January 
with more news, interviews, data, analysis, opinions, and more by, for, and about the cannabis community coming to you live from beautiful, legal Potland, Oregon. I'm Radical Russ. For everyone here at Rolla J Studios and CannabisRadio.com, thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it. I didn't inhale.